I wanted to go through refuges and then apply the refuges in a practice uh, that you come up with and also weave into that a, a bit, some response to some of the questions uh, that, and we've gotten in the notes, questions and comments. And then uh, James and I will um, kind of take it home with talking about specific situations. Okay? So in dealing with hard things, refuges, broadly defined, seem really critical, really crucial. How in the world can we uh, deal with difficult things if we don't have a place of sanctuary that, where we can refuel and renew ourselves and gather ourselves to come out and deal with this thing. That's the nature of a refuge. And the importance of refuge has been recognized across all kinds of spiritual traditions. For example, in Buddhism, you may well know, the classic three jewels or three treasures are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, or you could define that as the teacher, the teaching, and the community of the taught. And one way to also understand, in particular, the first one uh, is not so much the historical teacher, in one whom has informed confidence, in addition to that, uh, the possibility of personal liberation for oneself in this lifetime, not necessarily, you know, in many lifetimes to come. All right? And the Buddha nature, if you will, deep within us, and I'll talk more about true nature as the ultimate potential refuge. Other traditions have similar refuges, more kind of prosaically. Uh, you know, you ask somebody, what's your refuge? Uh, you know, it's in my bed with the door. If you asked my daughter, it would be in my bed with the door closed talking to my friends. That's a refuge. Some people, it's burying their head in the belly of their dog and going, <laughs> right? Whatever floats that boat, you know? Um, I've done a lot of rock climbing. Uh, for me, refuge is often uh, the piece of protection I finally get in and the crack in front of my nose. Whew. That's my own personal refuge where I kind of gather and then go on to the next, the next level. So refuges are really important. Now, so I want to talk through what might be some refuges that would be relevant here for you, and then we'll do a practice with regard to them. Okay? So first of all, is the idea of refuge clear? In other words, it's something. It could be material. It could be intangible. It could be a specific location. Um, it's something where you can feel relatively safe and supported and renewed by it, and it's reliable. I mean, in a world of endless change, and with many things that decay and fall apart, rust never sleeps, what, can, what are the go-tos that we can keep coming back to that are, as the Buddha said, good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end? Right, that's the inquiry here. So I want to offer a few refuges that maybe you know, people don't normally think about, such as, um, where are we here? Yes, refuge in reason. Taking refuge in the ability to see the world clearly. I think that's one of the very first casualties in a difficult childhood. Uh, it's often one of the first casualties in political oppression, the ability to see the world clearly. So regaining that capacity to see the world clearly and taking refuge in it is very important. Another uh, is ultimate spiritual sources. I mean, people have different views about where Buddhism stands with this. I won't get into that. But basically, just simply the notion of something transcendental or something divine. Uh, for many people, that's a meaningful refuge for them. Another possible refuge 
is the feeling of being loved by family and friends. Uh, more and more, I'm just getting so clear about the importance of this affiliation system and um, the uh, sort of neuropsycho evolutionary neuropsychology of being human. Uh, it's a lot of fancy multi-syllable words to feel loved, to feel close, to feel like we belong. That's another important refuge. Another refuge is in practice, right effort. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of the frogs in the vat of cream. If you've heard this story, please don't shout out the ending. Uh, so here you go. A bunch of frogs fall into a vat of cream. It's a big vat of cream, stainless steel, you know, cylinder. They can't get out. And they start drowning in cream, one by one. And one frog, though, just keeps trying to stay afloat, keeps treading cream, right? If you will. And the other frogs, one by one, as they you know, go down gurgling with their last breath, say, dude, give up or dudette, whatever the gender of the frog may be, <laughs> give up. You know, what's the point? You know, just like go, let go, right? And that one frog just goes, no, not going to give up until I have to, have to, have to. Finally, uh, that frog is the only frog left, and that frog just keeps treading cream, treading, treading, treading. Finally, having treaded cream long enough, that frog churns it into butter, <laughs> which is solid. And on the basis of that, hops out of the vat Okay, all right? That is the wise effort or right effort part of Buddhism, or the Noble Eightfold Path, or in a way, that's two of the four recurring words that are used to describe a sincere practitioner. Ardent, which means heartfelt, and then resolute and diligent and mindful. In a way, four out of four words are captured there in the story of our frog who just kept churning away. I sometimes laugh about what they're going to put on my tombstone. Still churning. <laughs> you know, but anyway, I believe in churning. I take refuge in the power of churning. Just keep on. Keep on. Do what you can. Like Viktor Frankl said, in any moment, even if we only keep on inside our own mind, that is still a great refuge. Um, another great refuge is insight. Seeing uh, causes. Seeing what connects to what. Seeing what helps. Seeing what hurts. That's that's a fantastic refuge. In Buddhism, you could say it's the ultimate refuge. You know, uh, liberating insight uh, is, the, is the ultimate. Um, any examples from you? What are refuges for you, physical or intangible? Did you just call it out? Nature. Nature, nature great refuge. When, I get, when I'm in trees, I'm happy, you know, nature. Other things? Poetry. Poetry. Music. Okay. Music. ESPN. Huh? Resonance with other people, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, connected, resonance, attunement, wonderful refuge. Journal writing. Journaling, great. Community. Community. Giving to others. Isn't that a wonderful refuge? That, isn't that amazing that we give, we receive? You know? that, it's no surprise that one of, the early, one of the first teachings repeatedly the Buddha would give as he moved around northern India was about the teaching of generosity, which James talked about in the, earlier on. Donna of giving. Giving makes us happy. It's a refuge. We can always give something. Being on purpose. Yeah, purpose. Great. I want to talk a little bit as well about this notion of true nature. And um, I want to do it in two ways, kind of briskly. First, I think that in the view of Western science, 
the deep nature of everyone just embedded in who we are is characterized by five C's in that uh, we are conscious. It's really hard actually to make the brain unconscious. You have to work hard to do that. It, we're still conscious when we're sleeping, in effect, because there's conscious mental activity. If you're suddenly awakened from sleep, you, you can recall some kind of conscious experiencing going on. Um, we get so conscious during dreaming that the brain actually generates a paralysis of the motor circuits, because otherwise we would get up and move around. That's why many dreams have this feeling of being paralyzed or kind of running through water or trying to hit in slow motion or reach and you can't get, because we're paralyzed in rapid eye movement sleep. Second C is calm. The resting state of the, of the body-mind is parasympathetic activation. In other words, when we're not frightened, when we're not in pain, when we're not um, upset, there's a fundamental kind of peacefulness there. Third C is contentment. Again, the resting state, unless we're biochemically disturbed or you know, grieving some serious loss even years later, um, is a mildly positive state of contentment. Another one is that we're caring. You know, as Linda alluded to a moment ago, I mean, we evolved certainly to be able to be fearfully aggressive toward them, but human life is dominated by caring cooperation toward us. You know, it becomes the backdrop. We don't tend to notice it. Like, you've got a vast sky with one storm cloud. Everybody notices the storm cloud, but the sky is much vaster. You know, there's a storm cloud of fearful aggression toward them against a vast sky of cooperative, altruistic, loving resonance with us. And then the fifth C is creativity, creative. There is something fundamentally generative about the mind. It keeps generating. And um, the body-mind altogether. We want to create. We want to manifest. We want to reach into the next moment in a useful way. Right? So that's, that's, those are wonderful refuges. Perhaps even more profoundly, um, I've been very drawn recently into kind of an inquiry into the common nature of mind and materiality. And the Dharma view about this is complex because there are multiple Dharma views. You know, there's the original teachings of the Buddha, and there's more of the Mahayana tradition that came in um, several hundred years later, uh, really coming full force, you know, 800, 1,000 years later. And um, it's said that the fundamental nature of ordinary mind, at, at a minimum, is that it's aware and that it's spacious. And if you look closely at the emergent nature of mental activity, it's transient, it's interdependent, nothing arises on its own, so therefore it's empty in the language of Buddhism. It's also emergent at the leading edge of now, and it's fertile. There's something endlessly generative. Isn't it interesting that everything always exists only now, and yet it keeps on going? The universe never stops. There's a generativity. And in terms of neural assemblies that are forming thought, as they start to emerge in about a 20th to a 10th of a second, they're quite unstable. A lot of different things could happen at that emergent edge of now, right? It's very fertile, a lot of possibility. The same thing is true in the physical universe. At the leading edge of now in the physical universe, it is also highly transient. You know, it's, it's always changing. It's impermanent. It's interdependent, nothing arises on its own. It's endlessly emergent because it's only always right now. And it's fertile. The, the physical universe itself keeps generating, keeps containing possibilities. The notion of being able to abide increasingly in, that, in the nature of things, 
not as an eternalist ground that exists in its own right. The Buddha tended to critique that view pretty strongly. And um, it's sort of slipping back into Buddhism and, and other people re-critique it like Stephen Batchelor and so forth. But if you just think about not so much a ground, but the nature of things. What is the nature of things? The nature of things does seem to persist. That it's impermanent, interdependent, um, emergent, and generative. Right? To abide increasingly as that, in the freedom of that, uh, which then takes you out into an interconnectedness with everything and completely undermines clinging. Because when you experience abiding as that increasingly, you know, as uh, Tibetan saying has it, moments of awakening many times a day, right? As one, it, as one abides increasingly as that presence in the true nature of things, there's a growing sense of freedom and disentanglement from suffering and the clinging that generates suffering. So that's another ultimate kind of refuge here. So if you will, I'd like you now as the experiential portion of this activity to um, bring to mind four refuges. I've gone through a number of different possibilities here. What for you are ideally four, and if you can't come up with four, you can do the same one over and over and over again. It's really okay, and who knows, that might be really useful. And then we'll do a little guided practice with these four and then an investigation on the basis of them. So let's just take a minute, if you could, and come up with four refuges for you. It's really fine, by the way, to do this as a writing activity. Okay, and as you perhaps continue to clarify these four refuges, I want to talk about ways to relate to refuge. Um, but before I do that, actually, I want to read a little quote here uh, from one of my all-time favorite books, The Lord of the Rings. Um, this goes to this whole notion of abiding as or having a sense of the fundamental underlying true nature of things, or um, in Tibetan Buddhism, it's sometimes called ordinary mind. Ordinary, not in the sense of, you know, humdrum and dismissible, but ordinary in the sense of this is our fundamental resting state. It's the idea that it may be obscured, it may be covered over, but it itself is never tainted. It itself is never lost. It's never lost, it's never found, it was always already there. So here's this moment, if you know the Lord of the Rings, it's sort of the absolute bottom of everything. Sam and uh, Frodo are crawling up the slopes of Mount Doom with orcs looking for them, the mountain's exploding, 
the forces, the, the good guys are all getting slaughtered by, you know, the forces of Sauron. It's kind of as bad as it gets, right? And of course, smog is closing in to try to steal the ring. And at this absolute moment of just the pits, quote, Sam sees peeping among the cloud rack, a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For, like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Think of your own light and high beauty. So one way to relate to refuge is it's over there, and I go to refuge, or I go for refuge, or I take refuge in. There's a place for that. That's a traditional way of saying it. Another way of thinking of it, though, is I come from. I come from Buddha. I come from Dharma. I come from Sangha. I come from reason. I come from true nature. I come from light and high beauty, right? It's where I come from, right? Or I I abide as, or I rest in, right? Or I find myself in or as. See, notice what happens in your mind when you use those different ways of looking at it. Um, Just personally, practicing with refuge has been, on a daily basis, has been a very important and really productive um, aspect of practice for me now for some time. Well, I don't know how long, several years maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, finding refuge, abiding as refuge, can be formal or informal. Um, You can set aside, which I recommend highly, uh, time of day that you just say to yourself, I will never go to bed without taking refuge, or however you say it, I just say it, taking refuge, but it means any and all of those other ways of holding it, before I go to sleep, you know, whatever your refuges may be. Um, okay. okay, so let's do a practice with this. So you have your four, something like that. So why don't you just, and you can do this with your eyes open or closed. It's actually kind of nice to do it eyes open, because then you can kind of get better at bringing it into daily life. So get a sense of your first refuge. And I'll use the phrase, I find refuge in, but feel very free to alter that language in yourself and change my suggestions however you like. So get a sense of your first refuge and perhaps a sense of it in your body. What it feels like perhaps to embody that refuge. get a sense also of how it's wholesome for you and helpful to others for you to find refuge here in whatever it is. Perhaps say softly in your mind, I find refuge in or try other wordings, or even beyond words with regard to this first refuge.
And now we'll move on to the second refuge, although feel very free to do this at your own pace. So bring to mind the second refuge and get a sense of it, including perhaps a sense of it in your body. Be aware of how it is wholesome for you and helpful for others to find refuge here, to have the influence of this refuge in your life. If you like, say softly in your mind, I find refuge in, or other wordings, or no wordings at all. Now let's try the third refuge, getting a sense of it. Recognizing how it is wholesome for you and helpful to others to have its shelter and protection. And saying softly in your mind, I find refuge in, or however you may want to language it, or use no words at all. Now moving on to the fourth refuge, getting a sense of it. How it is wholesome and helpful. And saying to yourself, determining for yourself to find refuge here, to abide as this, 
to be this out into the world. Then, staying in touch with one or more of these refuges as you can, let's now do a series of reflections, which you can do if you like with your eyes open or closed, writing or not. So coming from refuge, resting in refuge, looking out at a difficult condition, a hard thing. So pick a hard thing. It could be what brought you here today. It could be something new or different. I encourage you to do all these reflections about the same hard thing, although it's okay to use multiple hard things if you like. So first, abiding as refuge, looking at that hard thing, allow yourself to see it clearly and fully. If it's meaningful for you, acknowledging what's tough about it. Honestly, perhaps, how it sucks. For real. Also, perhaps, the gifts or lessons or benefits that have somehow rippled from the hard thing. Just seeing it all from your place of refuge. Next, seeing causes of this hard thing. Not micro-analyzing it, but from a place of refuge, seeing the causes that led it to be. Perhaps none of those causes, or perhaps A few of those causes had to do with you, but almost certainly seeing that of the 10,000 causes upstream of this hard thing that brought it into being, most of them truly had nothing to do with you. Physical events, history, generations, luck, the First World War, going all the way back. Seeing causes clearly, without delusion, 
or ignorance from your place of refuge. No praise, no blame, just seeing. Next, from the place of refuge, bringing equanimity to the hard thing in a couple of specific ways. For one, noticing the feeling tones of the hard thing, the ways that the hard thing is unpleasant or neutral or even has some pleasant aspects. And seeing if you can be mindful and present with the feeling tones of the hard thing without reacting to them. Letting it be unpleasant, letting it be neutral or pleasant. Pleasant and unpleasant arising in a vast and open space of awareness. Like a small cloud in a great sky. Another aspect of equanimity is the bird's eye view. From your place of refuge and renewing refuge if it starts to crumble, reestablishing refuge to do this reflection. See the hard thing from 30,000 feet. See it from outer space. See it as one thing in the boundless open space of awareness. Another aspect of equanimity is having loved ones with you. In your refuge, connected with you somehow, being with you as you be with and face and bear the hard thing. Next, from a place of refuge, and just two more reflections here. Bringing balance and perspective 
to how to be with the hard thing. Not being immobilized by it, but not overreacting to it. Refuge giving us a place of balance, perspective, not being rash. And then last, from the place of refuge, clarifying in your mind or allowing clarity to emerge going forward in the days to come. Doing what you can about the hard thing including, in particular, doing what you can about your reactions to the hard thing. Much of the hard thing, maybe all the hard thing, can't be changed in any way itself. But there are ways to work around the edges of doing what we can with our reactions to the hard thing. In particular, planting flowers in the rest of our life and not organizing around the wound. Focusing on where we can grow those flowers And finding that middle place where we are not disowning the hard thing or suppressing it or denying it. But on the other hand, we are not organizing our life around it. And to close here, to paraphrase the well-known serenity prayer, resting in refuge, taking refuge, abiding as refuge, may I find the serenity to accept the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things which should be changed, and can be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking this imperfect world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting in my refuges, May I be reasonably happy in this life 
and supremely happy forever someday. Thank you. So any comments or discussion about refuges or any of those reflections? And then anything else you'd like to talk about? And we've gotten the notes from people here as well that James and I want to respond to, too. So comments or questions? And then, by the way... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.